You're listening to the best of the Visualize You show. To celebrate my first year of podcasting, I'm counting down the top 30 episodes to celebrate all of my amazing guests and just how much fun I've had over the last 12 months. At number 17, Breaking But Not Broken, Creating a Magical Life After Bereavement with Dr. Ashley Wellman. Please be aware that this episode does include reference to miscarriages and sudden death. Welcome to the Visualize You podcast. I'm your host, Beth Hewitt. I'm a spiritual performance coach helping you go from unfulfilled to passionately living your purpose. You'll learn how to create a crystal clear vision for your life so that you can change direction with confidence and have a career or start a business that is more in alignment with your true soul's calling. Each week, On the show, I'll talk about topics such as the art of visualization, scripting, manifesting, and the law of attraction. And I'll bring you interviews with inspirational people who have taken that path already, so you can learn the practical skills that will help you do the same. So welcome everybody to the Visualize You show. I'm joined today by the lovely Dr. Ashley Wellman. Ashley, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Let me just tell our listeners a little bit about you. Ashley is a criminologist specializing in trauma and victimization with 30 plus academic publications about homicide and sexual assault survivors. She serves as a media expert, television commentator, and as an advocate for families impacted by violence. After her own tragedy, she added author to the list, launching her own small business with the creation of her first children's book, The Girl Who Dances with Skeletons, My Friend Fresno. I'm so looking forward to to finding more out about this book. But above all, her greatest role is being mother to her beautiful six-year-old Reagan. Can I just check, is Reagan still six? She is still six, yes. yeah. She's May 15th, so she's... Oh, we don't want to get ages wrong. No, <laughs> for her especially, she's six and a half, she oh, tell yeah. you, for sure. So Reagan's six and a half, everybody. Okay, so Ashley, welcome to the show. And can you just tell us about your kind of life and career journey today? So it's very interesting because when you hear that someone's a criminologist, I think people really struggle to say, what is that? And they think that they go to the CSI kind of concept, that this is going to be someone who arrives on the scene after a crime. But really, I'm an academic. I'm a scholar kind of behind the scenes who tries to understand how and why certain crimes happen. And for me specifically, I went through my education. I got my PhD at the University of Florida in 2011. And while I was there, my heart was really drawn to homicide. And that's what I wanted to study. But no one at the university studied homicide. And so they teased me like, why are you even here at this university? And I thought, let's one of the best in the country. And so that's number one. But I ended up going to the cold case homicide unit in Alachua County where I was studying. And I said, hey guys, you're the expert. Would you allow me to work alongside you as a graduate student and go through some of your cold cases and work with you? And at first, of course, they were like, no, because academics have a reputation. But we just bonded. And so they said, of course, you can come. And they let me come every week. I went multiple times a week and worked through their cold cases. And my heart said, I'm going to understand why these cases go cold. That journey shifted when a mother walked in and she said, I want to know what the expletive happened to my daughter. Right. And the detective said, Ashley can talk to you. And that's where you see the victimologist part of me Uh come into play because I had never worked alongside a survivor of violent crime to my knowledge, even though we all exist amongst survivors. Yeah. And I didn't know what to say. And after about a four hour conversation, she said, I didn't really come here for any specific answer. I came so that someone would listen to my story and remember my daughter. And that's where I literally said, okay, I have this platform. I'm going to start to share these stories of these families. And that's the journey I've been on since as an academic, working alongside the incredibly resilient, the incredibly strong surviving family members of homicide and sexual assault. So as a campus advocate, I've served as a campus advocate before for sexual assault survivors. And so both male and female survivors on campus. And it's been one of the most rewarding journeys of my life. 
So was it literally like a light bulb went off when you had that conversation with that, that woman? I, I did. I went home because as a scientist, you're trained that there's these numbers are important and all of these things. But when yes. I heard her story, I thought, this is the good stuff. This is what people need to know. If I ask you, what's your grief like on a scale of one to 10 and you say a six, what does that mean? But if you tell me your story, there's so much richness and knowledge to discover in somebody's personal story, which is you're a podcaster. You get this, right? I light up. I I love that side of things. Yes. Uh And so I went home that night and I started researching. I said, I'm just going to learn about the family. So I'm better prepared. There wasn't anything out there. And so I thought what an underrepresented group of victims. Mm -hmm. We forget about the victims' families. Honestly, we forget about the offenders' families as well. When we look in the criminal justice system, we always focus on the offender. And in a homicide, the victim's deceased. And so they get forgotten as well. But these families are this second tier group of victims that we don't talk about. And so I said, I'm going to give them a voice. And that's what I've been doing for the last 11 years of my career. And that's amazing. Do you still do that then? Still- I do. Yeah. I'm currently still a professor. Uh, I do research with the families and with sexual assault survivors as well. I dapple in other fun things. Like we just did a slasher film paper and some other things to have a distraction for a bit. <laughs> but I do. And I think I will forever be yeah. an advocate, even if I end up shifting my identity and, and career completely. I think I will always be an advocate because it's what makes me feel grounded and purposeful in the work that I do. And so I think I've become a better woman for being an advocate for others. And so I think that's always going to be something that is the core of who I am. And did you always want to go into criminology? What was your kind of TV program of choice? Back then, it was the old school Unsolved Mysteries Ah. and some of those different shows, the true crime shows. I would actually watch with my dad. Even when I was very young, I had this affinity for true crime. Yeah. Now, when I went to college, my advisor said, you don't want to do that. And they told me to actually specialize in something different. And so... I got my major in college was public relations. And I ended up being an event planner for a couple of years, working at Barnes and Noble, which comes full circle. But I was the community relations manager doing book signings and author parties and those types of things. And then I started working with law enforcement for a book drive. And I said, I should have studied what I loved. And I did. I went back and got my master's and PhD after that. I'm so glad that happened. But this happens all the times where a teacher told me not to take, um, I think it was philosophy. I really wanted to do philosophy. You can imagine the kind of interviews that I do. That would be something that would really resonate with me. And the the teacher at the open day was like, no, you don't want to do that. And I was like, right. Okay. Listen to people. But the great thing is that life allows us to change and pivot, which we'll talk about later in the show. Uh But I'm so grateful for that. I I think as we get older, we lose the permission we give ourselves to be willing to be flexible and change. But in those changes is the magic. So I'm glad we eventually don't listen. We get smarter (laughs) eventually. So how do you get from criminologist to writing a book? When I was on this path of academia, that that was really my major focus. I was a dual mom, wife, and scholar. And so we were so blessed with Reagan, very easy to conceive. We we were grateful for that. And so as I'm pursuing this, this success in academia, I'm getting speaking gigs around the world and I'm on TV and I'm doing all of this. I got tenure, which is the holy grail of academia. But at the same time, in my personal life, we had struggled with baby number two and we had suffered multiple miscarriages. And anyone who's listening who has a partner or themselves has gone through a miscarriage, it really changes you. Mm -hmm. And each miscarriage shifted my my perspective of life even more. And each was very different. And so while I was growing and exceeding and, and excelling in my career, my personal life, I was really struggling because I had this amazing husband, this beautiful baby. And yet the loss of each of those babies was really costing me personally. And so my husband, buddy was so great. He said, Ash, I know everything's like, you're doing well at work, but you're really unhappy. What if we made a change? What if we just, he's, I don't care if you want to be a barista, which has always been a secret dream of mine to own my own coffee shop, but that's not in the <laughs> not plan today. right now. Not today. He said, I don't care if you want to do that. We could literally skip out and get a tiny home and travel. I don't care, but I need my wife back and Reagan needs the light back from me. Uh-huh. And he was right. So I got a therapist and I also started looking for a new job because I really did think a change of scenery would do us good. I got, I met up with um, a group of people who had said, listen, Ashley, if you step away 
from this tenure track job, which is career suicide, Mm -hmm. mind you, for anyone who's listening, if you take the chance and you step away from this tenure track job, you can start at this new institution with us, which is an amazing institution. As an instructor, you only need a master's degree to be an instructor, but they said, if you give it up, Mm -hmm. you could work your way back up into a tenure track position. This is easy peasy. So I thought, of course I could. I've done well. So I'm not really concerned about stepping down because I can go back up. And so we did, we made a really big career and life move. We moved to Texas and I thought, okay, this is it. We're starting over. We're going to dream big together. And the day before I started my new job back in 2018, my husband actually died in our home in front of my daughter and I, he collapsed and had, and later we learned that he had a pulmonary embolism And what had happened was I ran downstairs and he wasn't breathing. He had fallen and he was shaking on the floor. And I remember Reagan just screaming, please save my dad. Please save my dad. Please save my dad. And I didn't know what to do except call 911. And so they, they came, they told me he was okay because he had a heartbeat. And as long as he kept his heart heartbeat, that he was going to be okay. And by the time we left the condo on the way to the emergency room, he did not have a heartbeat. They tried for about 60 minutes to resuscitate him. And at 4.30 on August 12th, 2018, they pronounced him dead. And so here I am in a new city, Mm -hmm. um, standing over my best friend, wondering what in the hell am I doing? You know, like, what is this? It wasn't real life. It felt like I was in the middle of a movie. Uh And I remember they wanted to take his body away. And I said, where are you taking him? They're like, we're going to clean him up and we're going to bring him back to you. And I remember how scared I was about that because it didn't seem like I, I walked in fighting for his life and I'm walking out alone. And it it seemed so impossible to think about. And then my brain went another place and it said like, why me? Why did you leave me when he's such a good dad? He was such a good man. And I kissed him goodbye. I remember like apologizing to him that I couldn't save him. And I kissed him goodbye. And I said, I don't know how, but I promise you I'm going to make a magical life for your daughter. And I left him then and I went home and I went to Barnes and Noble actually. And I got every book that I could think of for bereavement for a child. And I find my way home and I have to tell Reagan that her dad died. And It was horrific. There were months of just wailing for her dad and begging for her dad while I'm grieving the loss of my best friend as well. And I thought one night in the darkness, I'm sitting in the condo where he had died. And I thought to myself, how do I escape this nightmare is what Mm -hmm. it felt like. And I knew that I had to buck up and do something because I had a little girl watching me and she needed me badly to find a way to, to do exactly what I had promised him to create some type of magic. So a friend of mine said, Ashley, look at that picture of Reagan. He had seen a picture of Reagan dancing with her best friend, Fresno, who is a posable skeleton. And he said, it is the weirdest, (laughs) most disturbing (laughs) picture, but it's also beautiful Uh because he said, society tells her she should be terrified of this skeleton. And she's two in the picture. And he says, she's not scared of him at all. She sees kindness and friendship and excitement. And so he said, you need to step back from what you're doing because I had really wanted to throw myself back into my job. That is what I knew I was good at. So I, I, I said, okay. He said, you need to step back and give yourself a little break. Why don't you write creatively a children's book about this picture? And so I did. I started in, in at night when I would put her to sleep, instead of just sitting in the silence, I started writing and I started seeing colors and feeling this kind of energy again that I didn't know was possible after the death of Buddy. Yeah. And so that was happening. And in the meantime, I'm back at work thinking, this is great. I'm back at work. I know that I'm good at work. This is my safe zone, right? Everything else in my life is falling apart, but school is my place. Mm -hmm. So they announced that a tenure track job is open when I get back from bereavement leave. I'm like, this is the last promise that Buddy and I had really set out to do together. We wanted a home. We wanted my daughter in this performing arts school and we wanted this tenure track job. Here it is. I've gotten our home. I got her into the school and this job comes open. And I had no idea, but a very small group of my colleagues were, had decided that I quote was no longer the woman they fell in love with and that I wasn't qualified for an entry level position. 
And so wow. I did not receive even the ability to interview for this position. And my other colleagues were shocked. I was devastated as an understatement. And I remember sitting at the kitchen counter, hysterical, saying, this is all I had left. This is all I had left was the one thing I knew I was good at. Even motherhood, I had questioned like, why me? This is not the person you wanted to leave behind. But my job was my definition of who I was. Like an anchor that you had. Yes. And when that felt like it got pulled away, Uh I said, who am I then? I feel lost. Who am I? And that's when the same friend who told me to write, he said, he gave me a couple months (laughs) to sit in that. But then finally, one day he said, I'm just going to have to call it, Ash. You got to stop. They cost you your career. You are right. But they don't get to define who you are unless you let them. And you're letting them. And so he said, it's up to you to dig deep. You've done it before. You got to dig deep and you've got to rewrite who you want to be because you get to do that. And then I thought, damn it, that is a, <laughs> it's a very hard task. This is another task I really have to do for myself. Yeah. And so I did, I started backtracking and thinking, okay, you, you cannot lose all of the things you've accomplished that's there, but you definitely have the ability to dream bigger than you give yourself credit for yeah. And So that's where I said, maybe this little children's book that was a way to heal is a way to thrive and to fulfill a promise. I had made all these promises. And I think that was part of when I lost that job opportunity. Mm -hmm. I felt like I couldn't fulfill that last promise to Buddy. And a friend said, Ashley, you fulfilled promises beyond measure, like beyond what you thought you owed him. And it was permission to say, maybe that promise is gone, but I'm creating all of these promises that an angel really is just rejoicing going, yes, this is why you were left behind because you're a great mother. You're a great woman. And so I've just had to reposition in my head, what defines me, what we owe to the people around us. And that's now I said, maybe I'm going to be an entrepreneur and children's book author. (laughs) And why not? Yes. Why not? Because we're allowed to do anything. I tell Reagan that all the time. You can be whatever you want. And yet- I really thought all that I was a scholar and the things I will forever be a scholar. I don't lose that, but I don't have to only be defined by that. And so I've just given myself permission. Oh, wow. First of all, thank you for sharing that story. Uh, I know it's difficult to recount that and and just being so honest and open about that. There's so much to unpack in all of everything that you just said there. I think from, it's like you're almost like on this journey of losses with Mm -hmm. your babies and your husband and then this job that you you had come to define who you were sometimes when speak to some of the clients and people that I work with sometimes I I almost see ask what's the opposite of that what's the opposite of lost and and obviously in your circumstances that's found or to find that thing that is going to illuminate this situation and make, make it better and I think that's sometimes a good way of getting our mindset out of those difficult challenges that we're we're going through but that must have just been that journey of what you've been through just must have been the strength that you must have needed to to get through that period I had more strength than I knew and that's exactly right I think that we think I can't handle anything else I've said this so many times and then I go oh here it comes and the reality is I think you're right I think it's a mindset I I remember right after he died lying in bed and thinking okay my life is no longer the same. And I have two options. I can shut down or I can fight. And I knew that I had not only his blessing to fight, he would have expected nothing less, but then I had a four-year-old who was looking at me to say, what's allowed, what's appropriate, what's our future look like. And so Mm -hmm. I made a commitment. You've got to remember, I studied grief, loss, and trauma. And here I am. And I felt helpless And so I had to step back and say, what have I done for other families? What do I recommend to other families? And I hope that it was good advice because I need it now. And so I did, I went through the hard steps of repositioning this tragedy in our lives by things like getting us both professional help, making sure that I grieved with Reagan and independently from her because Mm -hmm. she needed permission to see what grief looks like. And unfortunately, it's not the nice path that everybody talks about. There's these stages. It's a cluster. It is <laughs> it is a mess. And I think it's a lifelong journey, grief is. And society is not used to talking about death. They're not used to talking about grief. They There's a time frame you are allowed to be vulnerable and then 
the old you is expected to show back up. And so for me, I said, she's going to see me cry. She's going to see me be angry and she's going to see me laugh uh-huh. and dream. She's going to see all of it because yeah. I want her to know, even if I'm not feeling the exact same thing she's feeling, that I'm a safe place and that while the rest of the world's going to be very uncomfortable with our story that we don't have to be. And that it's that same kind of message that the book talks about this dancing with skeletons, right? We're going to dance with everything that is uncomfortable and scary. And once you decide to dance with it, it's not as scary anymore. And so we've really been trying on that journey together, which I think has been a huge blessing. Yeah. And there's something in that kind of that darkness and light and the whole skeleton and young girl dancing that just, it is those dichotomies of life, but it's it's there and we should be talking about it and we should be able to embrace those experiences and share it with other people. So it's an amazing thing that you're doing with the book. There's always something about this. Normally when I speak to people on the podcast, they've had one particular pivot or maybe a series of pivots that have maybe been life choices but your story seems to be almost like this quick succession of going to make this conscious pivot I'm going to leave this job and move to a new city with my husband and my daughter and we're going to do this and then tragedy happens that pushes you down a completely different path were there different skills and things that were happening to get you through those different transitions there's power in choice there's power in choice But then we do have these life moments where it feels like I didn't, not only did I not choose this, but this has destroyed every plan and every hope that I had for my journey. But are there skills? I think it was trusting. Here's the luxury I had. When I consciously decided to leave a successful career and Mm -hmm. start again, it was a choice with a partner. And there was so much strength in that because there were times... Um, When I first met Buddy, I wasn't as confident as I appear. (laughs) And I really questioned, what's my ability? What could I do? And he was the greatest cheerleader. And so there was comfort in having a partner to look at and say, I can do this. I should do this. And I'm going to do this for my family. And there was a lot of conscious decisions going into that. Yeah. But then when he died, I felt more of a helplessness. I was alone in a lot of the decisions I had to make. Then the career loss. So I think a lot of that had to do with uncomfortability around grief and this kind of discomfort where people just aren't comfortable with someone who's the widow now in the room. But those things, it felt like I got stripped and the skill became rebuilding Uh that confidence and learning to treat myself with grace and kindness like I treat my child. And that sounds silly, But I had been so hard on myself about you weren't good enough and you weren't valuable enough. And what does that mean? And I had never before had to really rewrite in my head the truth of what was in front of me. Because for so long, things had been either I could bounce it off of my partner or it was going well. The miscarriages was something that that I did the same. I had to change from thinking that was my fault or that I had done something wrong to more of, Mm. you know what, that's not the correct timing right now. We're going to try again when we get to Texas, we'll try again. So I do, I think it was digging deep and being vulnerable and saying, I have to fight to rebuild myself. And that was different than saying, oh, I have this conscious choice and this empowerment of change. I picked to leave the successful career. I was grasping for anything when I felt like everything I had built had been lost. It wasn't a choice Uh to leave. It was lost. And yeah, I think it was the kindness and vulnerability and grace for myself, which I still practice or try to practice every day of you're doing the best you can. And what do you want today to look like? Yeah. And so you've got this amazing friend then who was able to pull you out of that mindset that you were in. I mean, we'll it's nice to have a friend like that. And sometimes we would just want to hear the truth of, of the situation yes. and pull us away from a circumstance or a, a little rabbit hole that we're, we're heading down. So he, he suggested this idea to you and you just went with it. You just thought. Yeah, because remember, I, so I was on my own doing uh-huh. all of this. And as much as friends and family were reaching out and phenomenal, I have uh, amazing angels around the country who really dropped everything to fight to make sure that Reagan and I had a foundation and people to love us. But this friend, there's just something really special about him. He knew Buddy. He loved him. You know what I mean? And there was this 
idea where he saw in me things I didn't see. Mm -hmm. And he's so comfortable with grief and loss in his own life and having multiple experiences with public and big time grief and loss that he got it. And he Mm -hmm. was comfortable with moments where we'd go grab a glass of wine and I'd start crying in a wine bar and he'd like, look at the bartender. She's fine. And (laughs) let me just cry and be mad. And he let me, people who are grieving don't always act in this perfect manner or like themselves or these kinds Mm -hmm. of things. There was never a moment where he like doubted or questioned what are you doing or who are you? He just knew he understood the process. And so I think there was power in that for him to be a support person because a lot of people don't have that experience. Mm -hmm. But I also think he saw Buddy's death, the loss of this career, all of these things as opportunities for me to say, you don't get to be that person anymore. Yeah. But that also means because you aren't like you're broken at the bottom. That means any piece you want to put, start building that now. Any, anything. It's like Lego box. It was like, I was literally just, I had been torn down. Whatever I had been as a Lego figure was uh-huh. completely torn down and put in the box. And I got to start with that blank slate of saying, now today, what do I want to build? Yeah. And he knew I was capable of things I didn't know I was capable of. And so once he saw that, that spark of magic with the Fresno book, we started writing a teen ghost novel together and starting to do all of these things. And he's like, make it a business, do this. And so it was almost like I needed the permission from someone to say, Ash, you still get to have a beautiful life. And I had made the promise to make a magical life for Reagan when I kissed Buddy goodbye. But mm-hmm. I don't think I really understood that that means I get to have a magical to too. life too. Uh-huh. And there was so much a relief. I think the day I really remember talking to somebody and saying, I, you know, I got to create this magical life for Reagan. And then I said, Ashley, then that requires you to believe you deserve it too. And so since then, I think it's just, it is, it's those constant mindset shifts and realizations like uh-huh. unlocking all of these magical things that our mind can be this prison for. Or it can be this way for us to really dream and, and get to a place we want to be. Yeah, I really like that. I think whenever things do crumble around us, it is an opportunity to rebuild, like you say. And we don't always get those opportunities. And if you can find the, the light in that situation and, and give yourself that permission to rebuild something positive and more amazing, then then you have to grab it. So I'm so pleased that you had that friend and he was able to do that. So I was going to ask at what point did you know that this could turn into a business? But you said your friend was was a guy who said again, there's a business. In this. Yeah, I, I think when I was broken at my lowest and here I am, I was like compounding losses. And so that uh-huh. last career loss, it just felt, I literally felt rock bottom. And I didn't bother to ask, can this get worse? Because I had learned in my past, sure it can, it absolutely can. But I just remember thinking something has to change. Yeah. Because I'm breaking down my mental health, my physical health. Grief manifests itself physically as well. Yeah. And so I was grieving not only the miscarriages, because remember now I don't have the opportunity to fix that scenario. Like yeah. my partner's not there. So we're not going to have that second baby. So I was grieving that I was grieving his death. I was grieving being a single parent. I'm grieving this career. And when I was just that low, I thought if I'm going to get healthy again, it's not going to be in this environment, or at least not where my entire identity is tied to mm-hmm. this environment. I have to create something new. And I had told families that in my research, one of the things you'll always see is that old life is no longer there, but it doesn't mean you stop living or that there's not a new life that's brewing. Mm-hmm. And so I would constantly encourage families, what's a new tradition? What's a new hobby? What's something new that you get to do that isn't necessarily tied to your lost loved one? Because someone had said to me, actually, after Buddy died, you're not the woman we fell in love with. This was the excuse that was used. <laughs> and I fought that really hard. Until I had to step back and say, but you're not, you're still all the things that you were, Yeah. but you're not the same woman. This tragic event happened and you're allowed to morph and grow. I grew, I didn't become a worse woman. I just grew as a woman. And so I do think it was, I think it was the permission from a friend Mm -hmm. and the guidance from a friend, but I also think it was me reminding myself that I didn't have the luxury of the old life I wanted or the future that I had expected. And so with that, it's saying, okay, then to be healthy and happy, 
I think you need to redefine what you want. And if mm-hmm. it's new, then the, the, there's freedom in not having to say buddy's missing from the scenario. You know what I mean? Because he'll yeah. forever be this energy in my soul because he changed my life so much. But I also don't want to necessarily keep living this life where he's missing constantly. I need to rebuild something that's mine yeah. and lets me dream different. Wow. Okay. Hi, listener. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I thought we'd just pause a moment to let you know that there is so much waiting for you at my website, bethhewitt.com, where you can access free downloads, access the Visualize You free Facebook community where I go live every single week. Plus, you can learn about the power of scripting, access the Visualization Vault, and find out more about my membership, Visualize and Thrive. So go check it out and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Head to bethhewitt.com and I can't wait to connect with you real soon. Now let's get on with the show. I normally ask what's this thing that's been calling you throughout all of this time but I think circumstance were thrust upon you but also you've got this rich experience of working with people before all all of this happened so do you feel like there was something leading up to this time in your life when you look back on it because it's difficult looking forward but when you look back do you see oh it is this divine path Uh yes there is not a doubt in my mind that the strength I felt when I held a mother's hand who told me about losing her child or Mm -hmm. a a wife who held my hand and told me about her husband who was killed in her arms do you know what I mean Mm -hmm. these moments that had already defined my soul I think we're setting me up on this path to say, Ash, you've watched people survive the unthinkable. You've seen people find hope and joy. You've seen people rebuild their families and life. And you've seen them do it with such dignity and grace and in spite of, right, and because of the trauma. And I think I had the skills that many people don't have to know exactly what to do Mm -hmm. in these moments. And I relied on the strength I had seen and witnessed. In fact, some of the survivors that I've worked with in the past are still friends of mine. We communicate, we talk all the time. And one of the mothers who her son had been killed, she and I had formed a very strong friendship. And she was one of the ones who knew exactly when and how to check on me. She knew it. And she knew grief doesn't go away after three months. And that there's moments where she's seen me thrive, maybe on social media. And she would check in. She said, Hey, I know it looks pretty, but I've been there. And are you like, are you struggling with anything? Do you want to talk about anything? And it was just very nice to know that my research, the connections I had made, all of these things, I really do think found me in a place where I had, I don't know if it's this power or this energy that I said, I can do this too. I can do this too. And then I believe that being a scholar, being a teacher, being an educator, being an advocate, all of that is a very important part of my business model. It's, I want little ones now to feel empowered and to feel this self-acceptance and love and inclusion. And so I'm taking many of the skills that I've had Look, even my Barnes and Noble background. I'm going to say that. I thought you've already probably tweaked that already. That (laughs) Yeah, that's already there. And Uh so I have the connections with that. And then I, I, people ask me a lot here, my dear friends, because I work with some great human, but they're like, do you regret coming here? Because the promises that were not fulfilled and Mm -hmm. for the loss of what happened. And I said, today I can look at you. Absolutely not. I was exactly where I needed to be with the people I needed to be with, even the ones that have now broken my heart. They were in my life for a very important reason and were uh-huh. there when I needed them most. And so I think there's a phase, but I'm glad that yeah. that career brought me here because now I would have never met my friend who encouraged me. I would have never had the amazing friends and family around me that we've constructed here. And so this is now the home place of my friend Fresno. And that would have never been something that had happened if I wasn't in this location yeah. with the people that were around me. And I think there's something about that intertwinedness of life. So as well as all of your past experiences helping you to this point is the experiences of the, the women that you worked with who'd lost ones or who knew to check in on you. It's like, it works both ways. And it's this ball of string kind of thing of all these circumstances that you can't really explain, but it just makes sense that something is happening 
to allow us to play out this path that we're all on. Yeah, it's not just my story. There's so many characters Uh that have been perfectly placed in that story, whether they're from my childhood and stepped up big time, whether they're from each location I've ever been a scholar at, or whether it's my research participants. Uh It's crazy how all of the right characters fell into place. Yeah, okay, that's just mind-blowing, isn't it? It's just a... It's just amazing how life unfolds. So one of the things that I like to ask guests is about our superpowers. So I'd love to hear what your uh, superpowers, but then I'd also love to know if this is okay with you, what Reagan's superpowers are, what Buddy's superpowers were, and what Fresno's superpowers, because they're all part of your journey. And I really think uh, it'd be quite special to do something around that today. So what are your superpowers to start with? My superpowers, I think I am a fighter. Uh I think I don't shut down. I will not stop. So I break, (laughs) but I'm not broken. And I always say, I don't care what life hands at me. My feet are going to hit the floor the next day and I'm fighting. And so I think that desire to always find good, to always look for a light, even when it's real dark for several days, I will never stop Mm -hmm. looking for a reason to smile a reason to love a reason to touch somebody else's life and to allow myself to be changed by other people around me I've always been like that I've always wanted to connect with people I've always wanted to make people smile and I think the older I'm getting the more permission I'm giving myself to be vulnerable which Mm -hmm. to many people is viewed as a weakness but to me it's been the most freeing superpower I think is my vulnerability and that vulnerability has allowed me to touch people's lives and to be touched in return. So I think people will use that as a weapon for many circumstances, but I think I would take the risk of letting it be wielded as a weapon against me because of the beauty that that vulnerability has allowed me. And I I had a girl just reach out the other day and I had no idea she was watching podcast talks I had done or any of the things that I was sharing. And she said, you've given me so much light when I didn't think I had it. And I thought, that's that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's why we share. And so uh-huh. I'd say my vulnerability in my fight. I love that. Let's talk about Reagan then. So she's amazing. Oh. Six and a half year old little girl. She's great. She has wisdom uh-huh. is her superpower. <laughs> she was thrust into a situation I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy mm-hmm. to, to witness and to lose her best friend. And yet she's been this constant, kind, strong resilient little being who Mm -hmm. always has the right wisdom to give me, whether it's been about the loss of her dad, she'll remind me sometimes I'm sad and she'll put her hand on my heart and she's don't forget mama, daddy's right here. or Daddy's watching (laughs) us or these kinds of things. But she's also whispered things to me about business or different ideas that I'm going, who are you? She's this 80 year old woman (laughs) whispering (laughs) wisdom to me. She'll say, mom, you've got to give yourself grace it's beautiful because you made it and you've got to be okay with how beautiful it is and I'm going because I was crying about the book because it I the one of the colors was off or something she's like mom it's so perfect because you made it and it's beautiful you've got to trust that and I went who are you so I think she has this ultimate wisdom and then because of what she's been through I tell her I, I do not minimize the struggle I let her know this is unfair this is hard this is heavy this is really difficult But I also remind her, don't forget that you will forever be more empathetic, more understanding and a better human being because of what you've been through. Mm -hmm. And so I think her empathy and her wisdom would be her superpowers. Oh, bless her. What an amazing little girl. And I think there's so much. Children are so good at getting through. They're so resilient uh, and get us through some difficult situations sometimes. So observant as well. She picks up on everything, even things I don't think <laughs> I don't think that she picks up on. And so I think that there's beauty in that and there's humor in that, you know, where I say, oh, I didn't know you were listening. I didn't know that you had understood that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's so much wisdom in children and they, they are so resilient. I think we don't give them enough credit for how resilient they can be and uh, what they can teach us. I think we should listen out of the mouth of babes. We can learn. That's so exactly right. There is, there's these, I think people speak through them. It's some, some really amazing things <laughs> that have come from her that have helped me as well. And, and then if we're able, could you tell us about uh, Buddy and what his superpowers are? Oh man, he was just an amazing person. It's uh-huh. great when you talk about superpowers in him. Reagan actually called him Superman. Oh. And so I remember one of the images that allowed me to find peace was when he passed away in the hospital. Instead of the imagery of, of that last scene, I remember re- reframing it and, and thinking 
He's got the Superman cape on. He's going to heaven and he's going to watch over us forever. He was the greatest cheerleader in the world. I think there's so much beauty in someone who unapologetically loves the people around him. Mm-hmm. And that was Buddy. He, when I first met him, I said, you tell me about yourself. All he talked about was his family and how much <laughs> he loved them. It wasn't about, he didn't define himself as a career man. He didn't define himself as the athlete that everybody, he was a college athlete in yeah. multiple sports. He didn't define himself like that. Everybody else did. He defined himself as a lover of people and his family. And when we got paired with him, you could tell his life was his girl's. That was it. And, and it didn't matter what else was going on in his world. He always knew when he closed that door, he was in his safe space with the girls that he loved. And so he was born to be a dad. He taught me so much about motherhood, about oh. what it meant to believe in myself. And so I think his unapologetic love and commitment to empowering the, the people in his life was his superpower. And I will forever be grateful for Superman sitting up in heaven. <laughs> He's still cheering me on. When I, when I doubt myself, I think about how proud he is yeah. of us, both I'm of sure. us yeah. and what he would, yeah, what he would want. I will tell you one of the greatest gifts he ever gave me was telling me he wanted me to love and live. And if anything ever happened to him, please do not let my life in. Do you know what I mean? Like make sure that I continue to just dream big and love hard and work hard and do these things because he's like, you deserve it. We had our own losses with very close friends right before he died. His best friend had passed away. And so I think that had given us insight into talking and planning and Mm -hmm. and making sure we gave each other permission for a life after each other. And so now I can almost, it almost feels that was divine as well, because I can just see him sitting up in heaven and be like, listen, we talked about this. I want you to really rock and roll. And he will forever be that power inside of me, that energy inside of me. So unapologetic love and and this ultimate ability to cheerlead even in the darkest situations was his superpower. Wow. He sounds like an amazing man. And I'm sure all that wisdom he's passed down to Reagan as well. But I think the lesson that I heard in that as well, uh, and for our listeners, is that he didn't define himself by his career or you know these societal labels that placed upon us and he he lived for life and love and I think we should all do that more so thank you for for sharing that of course I think I that's something that has allowed me to do that it's giving myself the permission of remember Ash that's not who you were that's not who you are it's qualities and great accomplishments you've done but that's not who you are at your core and then lastly let's talk about Fresno because this is probably going out after Christmas but it's Halloween in a few days I would imagine Fresno, this is is in his element right now, is he in Halloween round the corner? He's so happy, but I'll tell you, Fresno's got a great life, even when it's not Halloween. And the book is this year long, year round story of friendship, compassion, oh. empathy, inclusion. So definitely not just a Halloween celebration, but Fresno's celebrating right now because he can be out and about and no one's going to judge him. And that's the big message <laughs> um, in the book. But Fresno's superpower, oh my goodness. One, he was that spark of magic in our lives. He's the one that inspired me alongside his best friend, Reagan, to actually write. So I would say he's got a lot of inspirational powers that he has, but he's also, I think, sensitive and able to escape judgment, but it's with the help mm-hmm. of Reagan. Yeah. Being able to say, it's okay if everybody doesn't celebrate you or you're not everybody's cup of tea because you're going to be the right group's cup of tea. And what Fresno discovers along this journey with Reagan is that he's valuable, more valuable than he knew. And that if you keep trying, you don't give up, that you're going to find the place you're supposed to be. And for him, it was alongside his best friend, Reagan. So I do think, I think it's that willingness to continue to put yourself out there and to be exposed even when you might be judged for it. Mm-hmm. That's definitely Fresno's. I've learned a lot from him because I think before all of this, I might not have been willing to be as vulnerable. And yet Fresno, even when made fun of, even when not included, even when you know people are mean to him, he said, I'm going to keep trying because I want to have the friendship. I want to have a life where I'm loved and, and happy. And he finds that in Reagan. Oh, and those lessons, I think they apply to all different aspects of life, but I suppose bringing it back to the listeners for this show, which are maybe people wanting to start a business, pivot in their careers or grow their business. There's something in, I read that he, 
some of the things in the book. New things don't have to be scary. Our differences make us special and life is better when we're in it together. What an amazing message, not just for children, but I think for anybody who's starting out on whatever path they're on right now. It's really that ability to dance with the unknown, with the scary and saying, it's okay that it's scary. It's okay that it's unknown, that you feel uncertain, that you're scared. That's normal. And honestly, Fresno, someone said, you're Fresno. And I said, am I? And they said, yeah, you were stripped of everything that you were and you were just this little skeleton. And then you start to say, okay, then how do I start to navigate my world again? And that's what Fresno does. So you can find yourself in Reagan because we've all been that, support person. We've all been that person to be kind and supportive, Mm -hmm. but you can also find yourself in Fresno, this little being who's starting again and wants to find safety and acceptance and love and is willing to put himself out there and dance his way through it. It's (laughs) It's a magical book. My prayer is that it really does give people this launch point to have difficult conversations about what scares you, what makes you unique and and special and what makes the people who are different around us, someone to be celebrated and not feared. Because unfortunately we do look at people who maybe aren't the same as far as appearances, religion, sexuality, these different things that that set us apart from people. And what it should be doing is allowing us to say, I want to learn from them. I want that color in my life. I want the richness and artistic abilities and all the things that come from people who aren't exactly like us. And that's the part that I'm really hoping hits home with a lot of people is that dance with the people and the things that scare you. And you'll find out that your life is really beautiful. Yeah. That's quite exciting way to look at it as well see what happens when we do that so yeah. you, you are a business now you've got your books and you've got uh bones boutique i think is it and uh other it things is. that you've got in we the pipeline bone boutique. <laughs> yeah, about that. We, so we did we, we so when the book was getting worked on it's funny because i started in october 2018 you and i are talking right now it's october 2020 yeah and the book has just come out and so it's such a process and labor of love and in that two years First, let me shout out about my illustrator because he's amazing. I got partnered with Zachary Thomas Kincaid and he is Thomas Kincaid's nephew. Thomas Kincaid was the painter of light, one of the best-selling American artists of all time and a great artist. Zach is this beast of a visionary. He is just so talented. And when I got paired with him, he said, I'm an artist, not an illustrator. And I said, I know that, which is why I want you, because you'll see as you open that book, it's just so visually stunning. Mm -hmm. I think the message is amazing and very impactful, but it's visually a piece of art. And so I got partnered with him. And as the process was taking a long time, I'm not a patient person. (laughs) (laughs) I started thinking, yeah, God bless. That is not one of my superpowers. But as I was waiting, I started thinking this is opportunity in the wait and in the kind of delays and things like that, this is a point where I can make things happen. Mm -hmm. And so that's when I developed the plush doll. And that's when I said, what if some of these illustrations became puzzles and an adult puzzle? And so I started actually creating a brand and ancillary products and all of these things. I wrote books two and three. So in the next year, hopefully you'll see Fresno's first Christmas and Fresno finds his heart coming down the pipeline. And Zach and I have even partnered and talked about another series that would run with Uh, my friend Fresno alongside it. It is crazy. This was a healing project. It was a way for me to escape silence and darkness. And now it really is this kind of injection of color opportunity and excitement in my life. And so I'm just so excited about how it's growing. It's starting small. It's one of those things where it's okay that things start small. I think there's a way to find beauty in that too. The brand is establishing. I'm setting up who we want to be. And so I just cannot wait for your listeners and for people around the world to fall in love with Fresno. Oh, and I'm sure they will. So as a young business now then, so what are you finding is working for you in terms of getting your message out there? into the world. I think being so loud that people can't look away and and making sure your brand, the message that you want to share. For me, it's been saying, I'm willing to allow my vulnerability to enter into my business. Not everybody uses that. I'm willing to do that because I think this is so much more than just a business endeavor for me. It is a way to 
create a new life and to create opportunities and joy for both myself and my little CEO, you know, co-CEO Reagan. (laughs) And so it's really, it's really been this exciting journey of saying, put yourself out there, reach out to any groups you think you can. For me, there's a purpose to Fresno. It's not just the business. There's a purpose of education and assisting therapists and making sure grief support groups have access to these Mm. materials. And I want it to have a reach and that for me, it includes me saying, this is how it's helped our life. This is how I think it can help other people's lives and, and making sure I'm developing the partnerships really around the globe that can help me do that. How exciting. It's an amazing journey to be on. And I think you're right when you're able to just gather that snowball effect of building and really thinking about the brand and really thinking about all the different elements and who you want to support. I think sometimes as business owners, we want to go from zero to 100 miles an hour straight away. And actually there's real benefit in that journey of getting it right. You you don't want to make all these mistakes. So I think it's, it, it does take time, but I think, it should take time if we're going to And it's okay it right. when you do make the mistakes. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. That's right. And, and, and you got to give yourself permission to learn and to be able to say, I don't know it all, asking for help and expecting the unexpected. Right? There's been so many delays and so many lessons learned. And what it is, it's permission to say, you can try. And if it doesn't work, just don't do that again. It's not, it doesn't have to be so complex that you feel you made a mistake. Now your business is done, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone makes mistakes. And so it's really a learning process and giving yourself the permission to, to continue to fight for big things to happen. I used to say there's a lot of shoulds I should be doing. There's really just a lot of coulds that I could be doing. I could be doing X, Y, and Z and whatever I get to today, great. But we've got years ahead of us to make the real magic. So this show is all about visualizing you. What do you see next for yourself and Fresno and Reagan in the future? An ability to celebrate who I've become and not necessarily what I've been. So making sure that I give myself permission to say, what's new, what's exciting, what do you really want and value out of life? Again, as a single mom, it's been really difficult to say, can you give up things that are quote stable and dream? And I think if I don't do that, then I can't ever look back and say, Reagan, remember your mom did that. Your mom tried and maybe I succeeded and maybe I didn't, but I'm building the confidence and the ability to say, you deserve the magic. You have the ability beyond what you know. So it's time to trust that and give yourself a chance. And so I hope in the future, there's this moment where I say, I want to be free from what was yeah. And I want to really look forward fully into what could be. Oh, I'm so excited for your future and, and Reagan's journey on this as well. Where can people find out more about your books and the work that you do? Oh my goodness. So there's two ways you can follow me. You can follow me as Dr. Ashley Wellman, the criminologist. That's at www.ashleywellman.com or on Twitter at Dr. Ashley Wellman. But the exciting journey of my friend Fresno is um, a way for people to really connect with us and join our skeleton crew at www.myfriendfresno.com. That's the exclusive place where you can buy the book. And then you can also follow our journey on social media at myfriendfresno. Amazing. And I'll put all of those details in the show notes for today's show. And we've also got a special discount code for anybody who would like to purchase the Fresno book. And we'll pop that in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been lovely to hear your story and on what you've been able to achieve achieve out of adversity and I'm sure a lot of listeners will get so much out of today's episode so thank you for being here thank you so very much I encourage your listeners to dream big and never stop chasing the light that is always there even when it feels really dark in our lives Okay, so that's all for today. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any aha moments, tag me in your social media stories and please, please, please leave me a review on iTunes. It'll really help me out. Until next time, remember to visualize you.